Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is webyeshiva.org, and it's time to begin our regular shiur in the Mastery of Halacha program. Last week, we started speaking about the, uh, uh, the, the approach of the great rabbis to the great issue of abortion. What we learned last week was that uh, uh, the, 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 the fetus, as long as the fetus is in the mother's womb, we saw plenty of sources which taught us that the fetus is not a person in the sense that if you destroy the life of the fetus, you're guilty of murder. Uh, the status of being a person we saw last week begins at birth. And this has many ramifications, uh, not only as far as what, what is and what is not an act of murder, has many ramifications in other areas as well, uh, whether a fetus can inherit uh, if the father if the father dies during pregnancy. There are implications here regarding whether or not a fetus can can receive a gift, uh, whether that's valid or not, whether the whether the fetus actually acquires ownership of a gift. Well, well, well. Uh, uh, Fetus can, cannot be, technically speaking, murdered because it's not a person. And uh, we saw indications last week that if the fetus is not a person, then what it is is yerech imo, a part of its mother, just as the mother has a kidney, a, a liver. So this is part of the mother. This, this is basically what we saw last week. Now let's pick up with new material which I think I can get on the screen with one try. Here we go. Uh, the, the new material is, uh, um, is uh, a, a quotation from the Gemara in Masechet Nida. Let's see what the Gemara has to tell us. First of all, the Gemara is talking about Tinok ben Yomachad, a one-day-old baby, a newborn, a one-day-old baby. Uh, that doesn't mean that 24 hours have passed since the birth. It means that, that, that uh, some time has passed since the birth. It's a newborn, a newborn baby. Ha-horgo. Anyone who kills that newborn baby, Chayev, is liable to the death penalty. This contradicts everything we've learned up till this point, or does it? If you kill, if you kill, a, one, if you kill a newborn baby, you're liable to the death penalty. Does this, this, this fit in well with everything we've learned? Well, well yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, and as long as the baby was in the womb of fetus, there's no death penalty. But now that it's been born, there is a death penalty. What's the proof of the idea? Dichtiv is written in the Torah. nefesh adam. A person who kills any other person, mot yumat, shall be put to death, the death penalty is imposed for killing any person. Makom, makom, it really doesn't matter who the person is who's the victim. Whether we kill any human victim, that, that's, uh, that's murder and that carries the death penalty. That's what the Gemara wants to learn from the Pasuk. That's what the Gemara wants to learn from the verse in the Torah. Well, no death penalty for destroying the fetus. Oh, but once the baby is born, now the death penalty comes into effect. Oh, viability, right? right, right, right. The question you ask about viability is exactly the next point in the Gemara. It's so, it, 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 it is exactly the next point. The Gemara then asks, Keman, who is it? Like whom? Keman, who is it? That, that holds this idea, this idea that you're liable to the death penalty for killing a one-day-old baby is really very highly problematic. We have a little bit of understanding that it makes a little bit of sense. The baby's already been born. On the other hand, there's a big problem here. The local Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, this can surely not be consonant. This is surely not in agreement with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Da'amar, because Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel taught us as follows. Now we're going to learn the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, which does not square at all with the idea that the death penalty can be imposed for a uh, for a, uh, uh, a newborn. Here's what here's what Rabbi Shimon said. Nefel. 
Now, the key word in this phrase is the word nephel. Nephel is a, a stillborn baby. That's, of course, a very sad situation, but, uh, uh, but that happens. Uh, a, a nephel is a new... Oh, oh, dear. A nephel is a newborn baby. Uh, and uh, a, a nephel is a stillborn. Ugh, I have to concentrate better. I'm trying, like, I, I, the, the colors on my screen keep changing. I'm losing control of the colors on my screen, the, which I find confusing. Well, let, let me ignore the colors on my screen and just concentrate on what I'm teaching you. Nephel is a stillborn baby. That's, of course, a very tragic situation. Now, now, what makes a stillborn baby a stillborn baby? We have to have some definition of what is a stillbirth. Right? There are two kinds of births. There's a live birth, where a healthy baby or a sick baby, but a baby is born alive, and a stillbirth, where a baby is born dead. Well, 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 well if the death occurred in utero, if the death occurred uh, during pregnancy, so of course, of course, when the baby comes out, it's going to be dead. No doubt about that. That's a nephil, a stillborn baby. What happens if a baby is born and dies two seconds later? Was that called a live birth or was that called a stillbirth? According to Reverend Gamliel, if the baby dies two seconds after birth, that's not called a live Yeah, the baby took one breath and then died. That's not called a live birth. That's called a stillbirth. And there are many ramifications of this. All the laws of burial are different for live births and for stillbirths. All the laws of mourning, avelut, are different for live births and stillbirths. There, 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 there are a huge number of ramifications for, uh, which depend upon which babies are born live and which are stillborn. Well, a baby which is born live takes one breath and then dies. That is, halakhically speaking, categorized as a stillbirth. What if the baby lives uh, a minute, two minutes, uh, 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 half an hour, an hour, uh, a day, and then and then dies. At what point? At what point does the baby leave the the possibility of being categorized as stillborn? At what point in time do we know that this is a live birth? Shloshim yom. Rabbi Gamliel says a baby who has survived after birth for thirty days is a live birth up till the 30-day cutoff point we're in doubt is this baby going to make it is this baby not going to make it if the baby dies within 30 days of birth that's halakhically speaking a stillbirth the halakhas of mourning the laws governing mourning are very different the laws governing governing uh uh, uh, uh burial are very different there's a minhag not a not a halakhic requirement, but there's a minhag to perform uh, circumcision on babies which are stillborn. This is uh, for spiritual reasons very important for the soul, but it's it's also an opportunity for for uh, people who are who are in training to become mohalim. They they get their first practice. In, in, in performing ritual circumcision on stillborn babies uh, and, uh, and only after they've demonstrated their competence in that can they then move on to, uh, to, uh, to uh, or ordinary circumcisions under the supervision of their teachers. But uh, that's a minhag to supervise, uh, that's a minhag to circumcise uh, the nephil, the baby which is born, which is stillborn. The, uh, a baby which has survived 30 days has demonstrated its its viability and now we know that it's a viable child holoshaha the baby which did not survive 30 days died within the first 30 days of uh, of birth suffolk having some doubt here about whether it's alive uh, whether it's viable or not uh, what, what kind of case are we talking about? In a case where it's perfectly clear, we know for sure, absolutely certain, that the months, its months are finished. What does that mean, its months are finished? Everyone knows from the song in Leil HaSeder, everyone knows that pregnancy, normal pregnancy, full term is nine months. 
And everyone knows that a, a preterm baby, a premature, what they call a premature baby, has viability problems. Back in those days, premature babies had very low life expectation. Today, Baruch Hashem, with modern medicine, the life expectation of premature babies has risen, has risen dramatically. But a premature baby is a suffolk a doubt whether or not the baby is viable and therefore the baby does not acquire the status of being viable until it has survived in this world for 30 days or more that's if it's a premature baby now in general all births are considered halachically speaking premature births the reason all births are in general considered premature births is because in the normal situation of husband and wife living together, it's impossible to know the exact day of conception. And if husband and wife are living together, which is the normal situation, then it's impossible to know the exact day of conception. And if it's impossible to know the exact day of conception, it's, it follows that it's impossible to know exactly when a full-term baby is born. It's impossible to know exactly when nine months have passed since the birth. And uh, so every baby is presumed to be a, a premature baby and therefore requires a 30-day lifespan, a minimum of 30-day lifespan in order to demonstrate its viability. Baby, a premature baby is viable only once it has reached 30 days. Oh, but in some unusual cases, we do know definitively what the date of conception was. Uh, the example of the Gemara is the example of a, a, a woman, a married woman who goes to the mikveh she and her husband are intimate exactly once and then he goes on a business trip abroad and comes back a few months later and his, his, his wife is pregnant well if she went to the mikveh and was intimate with her husband exactly once and then he goes on a business trip abroad and comes back a few months later and she's pregnant so we know exactly that's an unusual situation but in that case we know exactly what the date of conception was, and then we'll know exactly when nine months have passed. But aside from unusual cases where we definitively know the date of conception, every other birth, just about all births, therefore, are considered, halakhically speaking, maybe premature. And therefore, aside from the unusual case of a baby which we know for sure is full term because we can calculate precisely nine months from the date of conception. Uh, aside from that case, babies have to demonstrate their viability for, for, for 30 days. The full term baby, the unusual case, is assumed to be viable from the moment of birth. All other babies require 30 days. Now, uh, this is important for all kinds of reasons, as I pointed out, in order to establish the correct procedures for burial, the correct procedures for mourning, and someone who, who destroys the life of that baby, someone who stabs the knife into that baby and kills it, is that murder or not? If it was a full-term baby, then yes, presumption of viability begins at birth, and as soon as that baby is in the uh, is born, and we defined the moment of birth last time, based on the Mishnah, as being the moment when the head and the majority of the body come out, well, that's when uh, the, that, that's when birth has occurred, and anyone who destroys the baby's life from that point on is guilty of murder if it's a full-term baby. Otherwise, we have to wait for 30 days to elapse. Well. Uh, uh, we, we, we've, we've added one more layer of proof uh, straight from the Gemara that just destroying the life of the fetus cannot be an act of murder which carries the death penalty because uh, uh, if we're talking about destroying the life of the fetus during pregnancy, uh, there's no, absolutely no presumption of a viability here. But let, 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 let's go one step further. Where do I click? Yeah, oh, got it. Uh, 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 our, our next passage is from the Rambam. Now, now I cannot overemphasize the importance of Rambam. Maimonides, 12th century, 
born and grew up in Spain. He was active in Egypt. The, uh, I cannot overemphasize his importance in the halachic tradition. The text we're about to look at was written by uh, by the Rambam, uh, uh, by Maimonides in his Mishnah Torah, and it, uh, the, the Shulchan Aruch, well, all subsequent halacha is around 80, 85% or so just taken directly from the opinions of the Rambam. The Rambam's opinions are, are of overwhelming importance. That's in general true in every halachic topic that exists out there. As far as our topic today is concerned, it's this passage in the Rambam, which we're about to learn. It's this passage around which all subsequent discussions of abortion revolve. This is the, this is the passage upon which all subsequent posts can base their opinion. Um, uh, remember that just because there's no death penalty imposed for an abortion doesn't exactly mean that it's permitted. Uh, we've just taken the death penalty off the table, but uh, uh, just as you cannot um, uh, cut off a person's finger or, or remove a person's kidney uh, without a good reason or extract a tooth from a person without a good reason, you need a good reason to want to do that or else it's called an, an act of injury. Uh, and of course, you're not allowed to injure people, but you can extract a tooth or remove a kidney or something if you have a good reason for it. It's not an injury, it's an improvement uh, to the person's health. Well, uh, up to this point, fetuses seem to occupy that position. But, the, but the, it, it's, it, it's, the, it's the formulation of the Rambam that we're about to look at, which is definitive as far as all subsequent post are concerned. Let's say the words of the Rambam. Rambam says like this, uh, there's, a, there's a prohibition of the Torah. When, you know, people say that the, 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 the commandments of the Torah are divided into positive and negative commandments. I don't like that terminology so much because uh, the, the, the phrase, the words negative commandment, doesn't, the, the, those words don't mean very much to me. I, I prefer to say that the commandments of the Torah divide into commandments and prohibitions. But uh, use whatever terminology you want. There's a negative commandment or a prohibition of the Torah, shalom lachus, not to have mercy. The Torah prohibits us from having mercy al nefesh harodef on the soul of the pursuer. Al nefesh harodef on the soul of the pursuer. Now, now th this is a terribly important idea, and the idea works as follows: the rodef. The pursuer situation always involves three people, A, B, and C. You have three people. A is the observer who is standing by watching B and C. And what does A, the observer, see? A, the observer, sees that it looks like B is trying to kill C. Uh, B is running after C with a knife, uh, trying to stab the, the, the victim. It looks like uh, a murder is about to occur. Of course, uh, the, the, the observer A does not know the background story here. Uh, uh, all kinds of facts might lie in the background story, which will change your interpretation of what it is you're seeing. But A doesn't know the background facts. All A knows is what he or she sees at the moment. And the Torah prohibits having mercy on the life of the pursuer. That's a complicated way of saying, of course, you have to do what you can to save the victim. Of course you have to save the victim. You can't just stand by and let this victim be murdered. Uh, if possible, if possible, you, uh, uh, if possible, less drastic means should be applied. Uh, if, you can, if you can save the victim uh, just by uh, incapacitating the perpetrator, do that. But if the only way you can save the victim is by killing the pursuer, if the only way you can save the victim 
is by killing the pursuer. That's what you have to do. You're not allowed to have mercy on the life of the pursuer. They're like, everyone hopes that you never ever get into a situation like this where you have to, where you're actually going to have to apply the salah. Everyone hopes, hopes it's never actually going to come up. But uh, if you find yourself in such a in, in a situation like this, the Torah prohibits having mercy on the life of the pursuer. In general, uh, you'll be able to save the life of the victim with less drastic means, uh, not killing the pursuer. But sometimes, if that's if that's the only thing you can do, that's what you have to do. Now, now notice that this halacha uh, uh, prohibiting us from having mercy on the life of the pursuer has nothing to do with the background information, the background facts. There's no time here to investigate. There's no time here to find out the background story, what's going on. And therefore, this halacha applies even if the perpetrator is uh, uh, has no intention at all to kill the victim. Uh, the, the, the perpetrator here might be sleepwalking, not even knowing what he or she is doing. Uh, the perpetrator might be asleep and about to roll over uh, and smother a baby. Um, uh, intention to kill the victim is totally and absolutely irrelevant. The, 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 the observer knows nothing about the intentions of the uh, of the perpetrator all the observer knows is what he or she sees and it looks like he is trying to kill him like like b is trying to kill c and that is the only information the observer has and the observer has to work with, with, with that information and try to save the victim no there's no difference between lachus and lirachem uh, uh well you know Saussure, the, the great linguist, taught us there's no such thing as two absolutely identical words which have exactly the same meaning. But for all, for halachic purposes, there's no difference between lachus and lirachim. Tov, okay, well, what have we learned? The, the, the Torah prohibits us from having mercy on the life of the pursuer, even if the pursuer is, uh, uh, has no intention at all. Of, of murdering the pursuer is a sleepwalker uh, the pursuer is uh, insane the pursuer is, is schizophrenic and delusional uh, doesn't doesn't know it doesn't matter doesn't matter doesn't matter uh, uh, you have to try uh, to save the victim yeah the uh, uh, therefore the Rambam draws a very important conclusion. The sages instruct us. This is the conclusion of the Rambam. The sages instruct us. The sages, the great rabbis of the Mishnah and Gemara, instruct us. Shaha the pregnant lady, she makshaleled, who is having some difficulty in giving birth, some difficulty in uh, I don't know what the difficulty is here. The Rambam doesn't say exactly. Some difficulty in pregnancy, labor, delivery. I don't know. Uh, the Rambam doesn't specify the nature of the problem. But there's some problem here. If the if the woman is having some problem, maksha, some koshi, some difficulty, what is supposed to do? Mutar, it is permitted. Lahtoch, to slice up, to cut up. Haubar, the fetus. In her womb, it is permissible to surgically dismember the fetus in her womb that kills the fetus. Ben Basam, Ben Bayad, the procedure can be done either. The abortion can be performed either by administering a drug, which will destroy the fetus's life, or manually, Bayad, or, or surgically, you can uh, destroy the fetus's life either by by administering a drug or by surgery doesn't matter how you do it it's all the same and why is it okay why is it permissible to perform this abortion mipne because who kirodef acharea lahorga because this fetus 
is like a pursuer attempting to kill the mother. Now, the Rambam has begun to clarify the nature of the problem which the mother is experiencing in labor, in pregnancy, labor, or delivery. This is a, sounds like a life-threatening situation. The, mo- the mother's life is in danger. Oh, well, if the mother's life is in danger, then it's correct to perform the abortion and destroy the fetus's life. And that can be done either surgically or medically. The Mishahotsi Rosho, but if the birth process, if the birth process has already begun and the baby's head has come out, the baby's head has been, has been delivered, the baby's head has emerged from the birth canal. Once that has occurred, once the baby's head has emerged from the birth canal, ain no grimbo. You can no longer touch the baby. That means you can no longer harm the baby. Now it's too late to destroy the fetus once the head has been delivered. The, um, uh, yeah, uh, crowning might, crowning and minor might not be the correct term here. The crowning is usually, usually refers to the beginning of the emergence of the head. And here the Rambam sounds like he's speaking about the whole head having been delivered. In any event, once the head is delivered, now it's too late to perform the abortion, even though the mother's life is in danger. You still uh, uh, cannot destroy the baby from this point on, uh, even though the mother's life is in danger. Why not? Because you can't kill one person to save another. You cannot kill one person to save another. I can't murder someone to harvest his heart, to have a heart transplantation to save myself. You can't kill one person to save another. And therefore, once the baby's head has been delivered, then you can no longer harm the baby, even to save the mother's life. And the Rambam ends this passage with four words, Zehu Tiv Olam. This is the nature of the world. Can't the newborn be a rodef? Well, let's, let, let, let's figure this out. Zehu Tiv Olam. This is the nature of the world. Now, 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 now this Rambam, this Rambam is is extraordinarily, uh, uh, extraordinarily difficult to understand. Um, uh, the Rambam is usually, almost always, a model of clarity and uh, and precision. Uh, this passage on the Rambam, uh, this passage by the Rambam, on the other hand, is incredibly difficult to understand. Let's take it again once, one more time, on the simple meaning of the words, and then let us list the problems which are in this passage. The simple meaning of the words is. You're not allowed to have mercy on the life of the pursuer. Therefore, if the uh, pregnancy is a difficult one, the, it's permitted to perform an abortion because the fetus is like a pursuer threatening the mother, and we know what to do when a pursuer is threatening someone. But once the head has been delivered, you can no longer harm the baby because uh, you can't kill one person to save another. Now, um, uh, uh, there are several problems. Let's begin with the biggest problem in this passage. The biggest problem in this passage is that the Rambam seems to have embraced two contradictory principles which simply cannot live with each other. Uh, On the one hand, the Rambam has embraced the principle of Rodef, which commands us to kill one person to save another. Simultaneously, the Rambam has embraced the principle, Ein dochin nefesh nefesh, it's prohibited to kill one person to save another. These two principles cannot exist together. It would be bad enough 
it would be bad enough if the Rambam embraced both of these principles in two different books that he wrote in different periods of his life. We could say maybe he changed his mind. But uh, it, it, within two lines, to embrace contradictory principles is highly problematic within two lines. Uh, make up your mind. Either there's a commandment of the Torah to, to destroy the pursuer, or there's a principle of the Torah that you're not allowed to kill one person to save another, but you can't have it both ways. And the Rambam not only wants to embrace both of the principles, but he wants to embrace both of the principles within two lines of each other. Uh, that's a that, that 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 that's a problem. That's a problem. Now the, um, uh, the, 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 the there's another problem, not quite as serious, but also pretty bad. The last four words in this passage, zehu tiv This is the nature of the world. What on earth are those four words doing here? Uh, Rambam is formulating the law for us. And this is part of a huge work, the Mishnah Torah, which formulates the law in every imaginable field. And the Rambam uh, is very concise in formulating the law. He doesn't uh, add uh, philosophical speculations. Uh, he doesn't add uh, uh, interesting philosophical ideas. He just tells you what the law is. What are these four words doing in this passage? This is the nature of the world. Uh, strike those four words, just delete them, and uh, the passage would seem to convey uh, all the information that we need. There's, there's, there's no reason, no apparent reason, for the Rambam to add these four words. That, that's a problem, because, because the, the Rambam was, uh, made every effort to be as concise as possible, and therefore, we're going to have to try to figure out some good reason why the Rambam added these four words. Uh, there's another problem, not quite so serious. Uh, the, the Rambam begins the halacha by talking about Isha, uh, Ubera, a pregnant woman, Shemaksha, who has some difficulty. And he's sort of vague about what the difficulty is here in, in pregnancy, labor, or delivery. By the time we get to the end of the halacha, uh, we know quite precisely what the problem is. The mother's life is in danger. Well, well, if this beginning to end was a discussion of a situation in which the woman's life is in danger, why not say that flat out at the beginning? And if the uh, uh, situation we're dealing with is something less than a life-threatening situation, it's only some difficulty, then what's the Rodef uh, law doing here? The... Uh, the, the, the Rambam should have been clearer in, 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 in outlining the nature of the problem that we're dealing with, the nature of the, of the problem the mother is suffering from in pregnancy, labor, and delivery. There, there, there's, uh, there, there's another problem, which may be minor, maybe the biggest problem here at all. That there's one letter, a single letter in this passage, which by itself is highly problematic. Can you spot the highly problematic letter? Uh, can I, maybe I can put a box around it, draw a shape, make the shape different color. Is this going to work? No, I can't do this. We'll just instead point an arrow. No. Oh, I can't figure out how to do it. In any event, the, um, no, yeah, yeah, you, you, you got it, you got it. Some of you got it right. The problematic letter is the kaf at the beginning of the word kirodef. In the fourth line, the second word, the fourth line, second word kirodef, the, the fetus is kirodef, like a pursuer. What's that k, like doing here? What do you mean like a pursuer? Either it is or it isn't. Uh, what's this? What's this cop? What's this like a pursuer doing here? It's also a problem. Now, now, now the, 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 in order to come to some understanding of this passage, we're going to need some background facts. Here come the background facts 
which you have to understand. Uh, back in those days, back in those days, uh, well, still today, uh, one, one, of the, one of the problems which can occur in, uh, in delivery, in labor and delivery, has to do with the, the presentation, with the way the baby uh, comes out. In a, in a normal case, uh, the, the fetus in the womb has the head down and the feet up. So the fetus is upside down in the womb. That, that, that's the, the, normal, the normal situation. It, it, it's simple enough for the medical practitioner to feel through the abdominal wall. You can feel exactly where the head is and figure out real, real quick where the feet is. That's one of the things which a medical practitioner will check uh, uh, for any pregnant woman to make sure that the, the fetus is oriented in the correct direction inside the womb, head down, feet up. Uh, sometimes uh, the baby is flipped around the other way. It happens. Uh, it happens. And uh, if the baby's flipped around the other way, the uh, head on top and the feet on the bottom, uh, the, the wrong presentation, the wrong orientation of the baby, this, this, is, this has potential uh, for creating some problems in uh, in uh, in delivery in birth in, in the birth of the baby and uh, various solutions various solutions to the problem a uh, medical practitioner with a little bit of experience a little bit of practice can perform a procedure called manual version uh, the, the the fetus can be can be manipulated within the within the womb the the can be manipulated uh, the uh, the the uh, womb can be massaged from outside, and the baby can be flipped around inside the womb. This, uh, this often helps. There's a, a moxa, a, a Tibetan, a Tibetan herb uh, called moxa, which, uh, at least according to JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, is, is quite effective in flipping flipping babies around in the proper orientation in the womb. You just take this this Tibetan herb. Uh, moxa is called, and you burn it near the woman's uh, big toe on the right foot, and that flips the baby around in the correct position. That's Tibetan medicine. Well, well, uh, the reason why it's important to have the head delivered first, head facing down, the reason is what they call in the business cephalopelvic disproportion. You know, the doctor talk always makes an effort to formulate itself in a way that ordinary people don't understand. Cephalopelvic disproportion is doctor talk for cephalus, the baby's head being too big to make it through the pelvic opening. The, 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 the baby, in order to be born, in order to pass from the womb, through the birth canal and be born, the baby is going to have to pass through the pelvic opening. Now, now, if the baby's head is too big, this is a rare problem. There's such a, a complication. It happens occasionally. It happens rarely. If the baby's head is too big or the pelvic opening in the woman is too small, so the, this birth is not going to happen. Uh, that baby is not going to make it through. That baby is not going to be born. Uh, today, today, um, uh, cesarean sections are usually done in these cases. Uh, there might be other procedures which also work, but uh, we're not going to talk now about how to decide what the best medical procedure is for any complication. The um, uh, Back in those days, cesarean section was the only option in situations like this. And back in those days, cesarean section was inevitably fatal for the mother. Back in those days, there was no such thing as a mother surviving cesarean section. Cesarean sections were performed only uh, to, uh, to save the baby's life. Uh, the mother always, always died in the procedure. Now, uh, in, in the normal course of events, in your ordinary birth, the head is delivered first, and the head is the largest part of the baby's body. Uh, uh, it's a little bit flexible, but not very. The, uh, once the head has been delivered, the delivery of the head, head passing through uh, the, the birth passage, the delivery of the head is the most difficult part 
of the birth. Once the head has been delivered, everything is relatively more easy after that. Everything is relatively easier after delivery of the head. And therefore, in the normal situation where the head has been delivered first, the principal threat to the mother's life has passed. In the unusual case where the feet come out first, now if the head gets stuck, which is possible, possible, but simply cannot proceed because although the feet have been delivered, the head simply cannot pass through the pelvic opening. In a situation like this, this is a very, very unhappy situation. And, and back in those days, well, well, even until modern times, uh, there really is no solution for this problem. If the baby's head is stuck uh, because it cannot, it's too big to pass through the, the pelvic opening and the feet have already been delivered, uh, well, all, all you can do is, it's a quite an unhappy situation, uh, is take a mallet uh, and crack uh, the, poor, the poor woman's pelvic bone in order to be able to to increase the size of the opening a little bit and get the baby out. It's too late for a cesarean section at this point. And uh, that's a very unhappy situation. But, but we're beginning to understand what the Rambam meant when he added the last four words of this passage. Zehu shel olam. This is the nature of the world. What is the nature of the world? That once the head was delivered, the principal threat to the mother's life has passed. Once the head has been delivered, the principal threat to the mother's life has passed. Now, now you remember, remember last week, uh, the Mishnah taught us last week that the point in time at which the fetus changes its status from being part of the mother to being an independent person. Last week, the Mishnah taught us that point of time was when the head and the majority of the body was delivered. Uh, Rambam, of course, knew that Mishnah. He even, wrote a, he even wrote a commentary on that Mishnah. Of course, he knew that Mishnah. But the Rambam does not speak about delivery of the head and majority of the body. He speaks only about delivery of the head. It's delivery of the head which uh, uh, eliminates the principal danger to the mother's life in the birth process. Uh, dangers have not vanished, but the, 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 the fetus is no longer a threat. There's still possibility of infection. There's still plenty, plenty of, of, of possible problems, bleeding, but, but it's no longer the fetus which is the, which is the threat once the head has been delivered. That would seem to be the understanding of the Rambam. Now, now let's go one step further. The, 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 the principle of Rodef, the principle which commands us to have no mercy on the life of the pursuer, and if necessary, to kill the pursuer, boy, I hope we never get, I hope I never get into that situation where I have to apply this a lot. But the, 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 the commandment which, which prohibits us from having mercy on the life of the pursuer, leading to the, the death of the pursuer, killing the pursuer to save the victim, this is a, this is a very powerful principle. It's hard to point to a more powerful principle anywhere in Torah, a principle which, which tells us kill someone if that's what's necessary in order to save a life that's a that's a powerful powerful idea i don't know of any idea more powerful than that you, you don't need this powerful idea to tell you that if someone's life is being threatened by a snake of course you can kill the snake to save the human if someone's life is being threatened by an animal, of course, of course you save the human life. And if that means killing the animal, so be it. You don't need this, you don't need this horribly, this horribly powerful principle of Rodef to tell you that you save people's lives 
if necessary, by killing an animal, by killing a snake, by killing an insect, uh, uh, a scorpion. Of, of course, of course, if the scorpion is approaching the sleeping baby, of course, you, you step on the step on the on the scorpion and kill it. I mean, you, you, you don't need to, you don't need a powerful principle to tell you that. You do need the powerful principle of Rodef to teach you that it's okay to take a human life to save another life. But if the pursuer is not a human, if the pursuer is, is, a, is a, a scorpion, if the pursuer is a snake, you don't need the principle of Rodef to teach you save the victim step on the scorpion before it gets to the baby uh you know you, you don't need you don't need uh, fancy principles for that but 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 if the pursuer is a person and the whole principle of of, of pursuer only makes sense if the pursuer is a person if the pursuer is not a person, uh, who, who needs this whole principle? The whole principle of pursuer assumes that the pursuer is a person. And have we not established over and over again last week? Have we not established over and over again that a fetus is not a person? If a fetus is not a person, so what do you need this pursuer principle? Well, Mahakesha, what's the connection? between the pursuer principle on the one hand and aborting a fetus on the other hand. Uh, we need, we need, the, uh, uh, we need the, the pursuer principle to enable us to destroy a person's life. But have we not established last week that the fetus is not a person? So why does the Rambam make some connection between, between the principle of pursuit and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the principle of abortions. Ah, as you suggest, that the Rambam never actually said that the fetus is a pursuer. All the Rambam said was that the fetus is ki-rodef. Second word in the fourth line, ki-rodef, like a pursuer. This is not really the rodef situation. This is only somewhat analogous to the to the to the pursuer situation. In the pursuer situation, there are three people: the observer, the pursuer, the victim. Here too, we have three people: the medical team observing, uh, uh, the, the potential victim, the poor mother, and the fetus. Is is providing the threat. It's it's sort of similar to the Rodef situation, but it's not exactly the same. Ki Rodef, like a pursuer. Okay, now now uh, uh, we've seen that we saw last week that the, uh, the the status of fetus begins at conception and continues until the head and the majority of the body are delivered. That's when the status of being a person is acquired by the newborn baby. Now, 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 we've seen a ton of problems in understanding this Rambam. Uh, for among the great contemporary poskim, there are two basic approaches, two basic ways of understanding this Rambam. Chat box. Uh, let me see. So I'm failing to mute. I got everyone muted. Okay. The um, the uh, uh, let's see the two two approaches. I've chosen two of the great contemporary rabbis, uh, Ramosha Feinstein, representing one approach. We're going to see that first. And uh, the Tzitzelias are representing the other approach, which we'll see second. Uh, although I've chosen only one great rabbi to represent one approach and one great rabbi to represent the other approach, the list of who hold, who's following which approach can be made very long. There are many rabbis following both approaches. Let's see the approach of the Rambam, 
Oh, let's see the approach of Rav Moshe Feinstein in understanding this Rambam, how he puts it all together. Ah, here we are. Rav Moshe Feinstein, the greatest of the of the rabbis of North America in the 20th century, uh, originally from uh, Eastern Europe. He was the he was the rav of this little village in in, in Russia where only people who come from the village know how to pronounce the name properly, Lyuban. Uh, uh, he came to the he came to New York and uh, uh, was surely surely a, 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 the greatest of the rabbis of North America in the 20th century. Let's see what he has to say about the criterion, the criteria for abortions. Uh, Rambam, in the text of the Rambam, Uh, in the text of the Rambam, in chapter one of Hilchus Rutzeach, uh, that passage we just looked at on the previous screen, he refers to it by chapter and verse. In the passage we just looked at on the previous screen, Mifurash, it's explicit. The Rambam is explicit, ex explicitly clear. Deharigat ubar hu Rambam is explicitly clear that destroying the life of the fetus is an act of murder. Destroying the life of the fetus is an act of murder. Perfectly clear in the Rambam. And we saw the Rambam actually said this. Uh, how do we know that the Rambam said this? Shehare Katav, because the Rambam wrote, Ta'am, the reason. The reason why in difficult births, mutar lachtocha ubar, it is permitted to surgically dismember the fetus and destroy it, in the womb, the Rambam wrote flat out that the reason it's correct to surgically destroy the fetus is to save the life of the mother. Because the fetus has the status of a rodef. Well, well, the fetus has the status of a rodef, which means the fetus is a person. Uh, but if the fetus is threatening the mother's life, then an abortion is called for, just like in any other situation of rodef. But in a situation where there's no rodef, in a situation where there's no pursuit, namely in a situation where the mother's life is not in danger, we're only left with the fetus being a person and therefore taking the fetus's life is an act of murder quite simple now 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 now, now this this approach of the uh, of Moshe Feinstein in understanding the the, uh, the Rambam is quite dramatic of course the Rambam never used the words Mamish. The Rambam never used the word the words murder, but but he implied as as much when he said that the fetus is a rodef, because in order to be a rodef you must be a person. When he said the fetus is a pursuer, threatening the life of the mother, to be a pursuer you have to be a person, not a not a not a scorpion, not a snake. You have to be a person, and and therefore. If the fetus is indeed threatening the life of the mother, so of course it's correct to destroy the fetus to save the mother. But otherwise, otherwise, the fetus is a person. And you can't just take a person's life to save another. According to the Rambam, this entire halacha depends upon the principle of Rodef, and as long as the situation of Rodef applies, as long as this pregnancy, labor, delivery, is threatening the mother's life, then abortion is correct. Even though the pursuer in this matter is 
a child, well, halakhically speaking, you know, under bar mitzvah, under bas mitzvah, uh, and, and, uh, even though there's no intention involved, even though the pursuer here has no choice about it, rather like a, a sleepwalker, a sleepwalker, or, or someone under under uh, under uh, a schizophrenic compulsion, even though even though the pursuer has no choice in the matter, still. We destroy the pursuer to save the victim, but if there's no threat to the mother's life, you, you, you can't kill. You can't kill someone uh, unless that person is actively threatening the life of the mother. It follows, according to to Igus Moshe, that abortions are correct if and only if. The, the, the pregnancy, the labor, delivery is threatening the life of the mother. There's a long list of reasons, medical reasons why the mother's life might be in danger because of this, of this, uh, 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 because of this pregnancy, labor, and delivery. But if, if, if that's the fact that the mother's life is endangered, then indeed, Igus Moshe says, abortion is correct. La'an hadvarim magi'im. How far? Does Igris Moshe take this principle? Ma'ase uh, shehaya the, uh, 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 the following case was presented to Rav Moshe Feinstein. A uh, young couple uh, had their first baby uh, back in the days when... Uh, correct. Yeah, there's a, you, you understand on chat correctly, there's a big problem. Problem with 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 Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein is assuming that the fetus is a person, and this indeed seems to fly in the face of everything we've learned so far. This is a problem in the position of Ramosha Feinstein, but it's his position, which he concludes from the Rambam. We see how he learns it from the Rambam. Uh, 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 young couple. This is back in the back in the 1960s. Uh, young couple uh, had their first baby. Uh, unfortunately. The first baby was a Tay-Sachs baby. Tay-Sachs is a devastating, uh, devastating uh, genetic disease. Uh, requires two recessive genes. Both parents have to be carrying the uh, the, the recessive gene. Um, those of you who are unmarried, and uh, 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 those of you who are unmarried, should of course undergo genetic screening in order to determine whether or not you are carrying a uh, recessive gene for a devastating uh, genetic disease. Statistically speaking, the most common, I suppose, is, uh, is cystic fibrosis. But there are a number of devastating uh, uh, genetic diseases. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about colorblindness. You know, having a baby which is colorblind is not is not a devastating situation. But uh, uh, if you are unmarried, and if you are carrying a recessive gene for a devastating genetic disease, why on earth would you ever want to go out on a date with someone else who's carrying the same recessive gene? You're just opening up the possibility of, uh, of producing babies, one out, one out of every five babies, as a the pro probability is one in five that your babies will have this devastating disease. In any event, this young couple had a baby had, with Tay-Sachs. These babies don't survive. It's a horrible, horrible disease. Uh, in the course of time, she became pregnant the second time. She became pregnant the second time, and in the course of the second in the course of the second pregnancy, she became depressed. Uh, it's quite clear why she became depressed. She was afraid that she was going to give birth to a second Tay-Sachs baby. Back in the 1960s, it was impossible to test amniotic fluid in order to in order to determine whether or not the fetus was suffering from Tay-Sachs. Oh, but her her depression became so severe that her psychiatrist, he was under psychiatric care because the depression was so severe, her, psychi her psychiatrist uh, thought she was, uh, 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 she was a, a potential suicide. Uh, that's how bad her, 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 her depression was. Well, if she's at risk of committing suicide, her life is in danger, and therefore this pregnancy is threatening her life, and therefore the uh, the abortion is correct according to Ramosha Feinstein in the passage we have just looked at the fetus is a person I know that's highly problematic based on everything we've learned and we're gonna have to discuss this further next time uh, and therefore 
only a threat to the mother's life justifies abortion. That's his position. With this, we're going to pause at this time. Next week, we're going to have to complete our understanding of Ramosha Feinstein's position, and then we're going to have to see the opposition, uh, the, the, those who oppose this opinion, and understand the Rambam very differently. Until then, I wish you a good week, and eventually a Shabbat Shalom. I look forward to seeing you all again next week. Shalom, shalom.